Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm, servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, November 12, 2020. <clears throat> I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. First, I'd like to thank and congratulate everyone who voted in the election last week. You're all my heroes. You're all heroes in my book. Democracy works best when citizens vote. It's messy, but that mess produces our strength in this country. We had the biggest turnout ever. Lots of different voices were heard and votes were counted. This is how we evolved from yesterday to tomorrow. In 49 days, most moratoriums on foreclosures will expire unless they are extended. That means hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions of foreclosures will be filed or completed over the next year. And just like the 2008 meltdown, the securities brokerage firms that call themselves investment banks will be swarming like maggots over the carcass of millions of lives. This is like living at the foot of Mount Vesuvius. at the foot of Mount Vesuvius seeing gas belching from the volcano. Those who sat it out got buried. Those who took action lived to fight another day. Sorry about the Big Ben sounds. And just like the 2008 crash, the impact of this next wave of foreclosures will be felt for years to come. The full impact of the COVID pandemic won't be known for a long time. It could result in many more people falling into the grasp of greedy Wall Street bankers. So my message is simple. Get prepared and stay prepared. They will try to steer you into foreclosure because every dollar they receive from the forced sale of your property is going to bonuses and profits. Get rid of any thought you have that the foreclosure mills are filing foreclosures on behalf of lenders who lost money because you didn't pay their demand for money. That's not what's happening. That wasn't the transaction. They just sold you on the idea that that was the transaction, that it was a loan. Tonight, in a different format from our regular programming, I'm opening the floor to questions and answers. Please don't use this as an opportunity to lecture about conspiracies and whatnot. The purpose of the program is to allow real people to ask real questions. 
So I gave, in my announcement to the show, I gave some uh, uh, examples of the type of questions uh, that people could ask, and several people wrote in basically saying that they want a rundown on the answer to the questions that I wrote. But first, I'll go to a couple of our callers and see whether they have questions. Um, area code eight three one, first three digits two four one. Do you have a question? Okay, nothing there. You could unmute yourself. Area area code six three zero, first three digits two seven zero. Do you have a question? Yes, you. Go ahead. Did you send something? No. Yes, go ahead. Ask your question. Okay, my question is, um, what do you think is going to happen as far as the foreclosures? How soon will they start, and when do you think this will reach a peak? Well... To answer the last one first, I don't know where the peak is going to be because it depends in large measure on two things. One is how bad the economy gets uh, over over the next year. Uh, We don't know whether COVID or anything else for that matter is going to disrupt the economy even more. If it does, then the peak may be years away, just like it was in 2008. I think we reached the peak in 2010. So the, um, uh, what was the first part of your question? I'm sorry. (laughs) Just how soon do you think they're going to start acting after the end of the year? Oh, well, that's simple. They already start, they never stopped acting. They, they, wherever they could, they filed the foreclosures but didn't pursue them. So these are all pending actions. Or they're they're just uh, um, they've got like an inventory of notices of of delinquency, notices of default, and so forth. So <clears throat> uh, depending upon what their PR people tell them to do. Uh, they're going to file those. Uh, they could file all of them on January 2nd. Uh, but I doubt that they're going to do that. Uh, but if, if you're asking for when, in, in general, this is all going to start moving forward at a rapid pace, it's going to, the, the date is January 2nd. Does that answer your question? Yes, just also, do you think that there will be some kind of um, uh, help for the forbearance people that that uh, put put off their payments, or do you think that they'll the government will come through with some kind of help for that, or do you think that that they're going to back yeah. away from that? Well, <clears throat> that depends. <clears throat> if someone has a forbearance agreement in writing signed by both sides of this, even though one side 
uh, doesn't have the right to be even asking you for money, much less giving forbearance. But um, if there is a forbearance agreement, then that forbearance agreement basically says uh, what we're going to do with the payments that we're demanding and you're not making. So uh, the agreement itself could, many of them say that they'll tack the payments on to the end of the uh, uh, the mortgage term. Uh, others simply say that uh, we won't sue you in foreclosure or or bring a foreclosure action uh, until so much time has elapsed after the forbearance period ends. And the forbearance period may be a date certain or it may be tied to a moratorium. So it's difficult to say exactly how that will work. If you don't have a forbearance agreement in writing, then you don't have a forbearance agreement, which means that they go full steam ahead and take the house as fast as legal process will allow them to take it. All right. Thank you, Beth. On to the next one, area code 415, first three digits, 786. Do you have a question? Unmute yourself. All right. On to the next one. Looks like Atlanta, 678, first three digits, 524. Do you have a question? Unmute yourself. All right. And area code nine seven three six nine nine zero zero nine seven. Hi, Neil. Yes. Hey, Neil, how are you? I hope you're feeling better. This is Amy in New Jersey. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Make it fast. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, just what, What's the best for everyone that's already in that situation in it? What's the best thing that we can do, all of us, to be uh, take advantage of that situation in our benefit? What can we do to position ourselves or anything we can do? Well, you've got to prepare first as though you're already in litigation and uh, uh, some people are even considering and I have mixed feelings about it uh, filing suit uh, even before anyone takes action against you the the main thing that you want to get across is the narrative from the homeowner that this transaction is not what it looks like. And that, in fact, the homeowner got paid nothing in exchange for uh, being the foundation of a scheme to issue securities that generated revenue uh, 12 to 20 times what the uh, amount paid to the homeowner was, which the homeowner has to give back with interest. 
they're trading on the name of the homeowner and they failed to make the disclosures required uh, under the Truth in Lending Act. And I might add that it might be possible that the SEC regulations apply also. So I think that the answer is uh, treat it as though you're already in litigation. And um, and and remember that uh, the earlier you start, and I know who you are, uh, the the earlier you start, the the more chances you have procedurally for getting your point across. And I can I can say from personal experience that the early starters who came to people like me and others out there who are, are experienced litigators um, have, have generally achieved a satisfactory result. I say a satisfactory result because most of them, some of them went all the way to the mat and simply won the case. But most of them uh, um, settled uh, when the offers got good enough. So we'll move on from that to uh, area code 951, uh, first three digits, 505. Do you have a question? Yes. Hi, Neil. This is Harry Pius, uh, California. I've, yes. been following you, I've been following you passionately since 2010. I am subscribed <laughs> to your newsletter. I am subscribed to your newsletter. I maybe I am a very unique individual. Uh, I have a Wells Fargo mortgage that was uh, originated back in '03. Uh, I have done. I have followed everything that you have told us to do, including writing uh, letters of uh, qualified written requests. I've even went to the bold move of Tony Wells Fargo. You don't own my home. Send me and clear me my title. I want quiet title, and their response was, on their letterhead, to show you how stupid these people are, uh, we only accept U.S. currency, no job title, no name printed, just a scribble as a signature. Uh, my quick right. question to you is, what's your my question? question to you is, what should I do? What should I do to move forward with this to find a competent attorney? Uh, I have been making my payments, by the way. To get my house free and clear uh, with quiet title, what is your opinion, please? Well, um, the whole quiet title issue is not what it sounds like. There are a number of people I know that are promoting it, and not without cause. It's not like a conspiracy theory. But I, I, I will say that the... Uh, uh, the the issues with quiet title uh, basically comes down to this. Uh, you can file a lawsuit for declaratory, injunctive, and supplemental relief. The declaration would be that as to the defendants that you're suing, you should be able to quiet title, notwithstanding things that they've filed in the chain of title. But the idea of expunging the mortgage or the deed of trust 
entirely just because nobody has been found who can enforce it, that's not going to fly in my experience in, in, in most cases. Now, it could happen as sanctions and so forth, but I think that the, the, the real question that I think you were asking about getting an attorney is this. I think that uh, in order to get an attorney interested in this, you're going to have to overcome two stumbling blocks. One is that the attorney is making the same assumption as most of the judges, and that is it's a losing case. And a, a, any trial lawyer doesn't like to lose cases at all. Um, and so they would rather, you know, take other cases, and they have that option of taking other cases. The other is profitability. Uh, the fact that you might be losing a home worth several hundred thousand dollars uh, is important, obviously, but it's not the basis of any fee that would be paid to the attorney. I don't think the attorney in most states would be allowed to take a contingency fee based on the property that is the subject matter of litigation. So, um, the the second stumbling block is do you have the resources to pay a good litigator what a good litigator gets paid? Remembering that the attorney has no obligation to uh, take the case uh, or discount his fees or anything else. So, um, the way to... Do, to get past all that is you're going to need help from outside consultants and the other people who host the show, Bill Padalo, Charles Marshall, and so forth, could help with this wherever you are. The, um, the idea is to be able to present a, a short, simple, succinct way that a prospective lawyer can win the case and make money. There are ways to do both, and I've done both, and many other lawyers have done both. Because uh, in, in truth, most of these cases, if, if all the facts were known, the foreclosures could not possibly go through. So what what you need to do, and again, sounds like you're later on in the litigation, just like the previous call, um, is you need to find a way to get back into the game and focus on the main issue. The main issue is revealing, not saying, because you can't prove it, revealing that the other side can't prove that they paid value for the underlying obligation. They can't if they can't prove that, if they can't answer to that in discovery, and that's the only place where you can force the issue, then you win. But if you get past that point, and if you notice all the cases that have gone through got past that point, 
Well, then all the legal presumptions kick in. There's nothing you can do because you can't rebut the presumption unless you've had the discovery. So that's what I think is the uh, full answer to your question. Uh, next, uh, area code 850, uh, first three digits, 675. Do you have a question? Unmute yourself. All right. Nobody there. Uh, let's go back to this one. Area code eight three one first D. Area code eight three one first three digits two four one. Do you have a question? All right. Well, things are changing around here. Um, all right. So let me go to the question that people wrote in on. Uh, actually, they wrote in on all the sample ones that I had, but the most uh, um, popular one was I've received a notice of delinquency from a company that has presented itself as a servicer. What do I do next? Well, that is the perfect time. Actually, the perfect time is even before that. But that is a perfect time to take issue with everything they're saying and doing. The fact that they call themselves a servicer doesn't mean they are a servicer. They are not a servicer unless they are acting as agent for a party who paid value for the underlying debt. That's Article 9, Section 203 of the Uniform Commercial Code. It's theoretically possible because you have um, – uh, different rules under Article 3 for the enforcement of a note than under Article 9 for the enforcement of a mortgage. It's theoretically possible for a servicer to be pressing a claim for collection or even administration on the note, but they cannot press a claim or or administration of the underlying debt or the mortgage. So the, the first thing you want to do when you've got a communication from some company that is saying that they are a servicer is who are you servicing for? Now that question translates in one to many questions, one of which is, well, after I make my payment and you process it, where do you send it? Now, this question has been one that the servicers and the so-called trustees who are not trustees of Remick Trust and the lawyers have refused to answer. And the, and the reason is, they don't have anyone in that position. They've created this whole infrastructure that makes it look like you had a standard loan and now you've got a standard foreclosure on behalf of a lender who is losing money because of your non-payment. Well, 
it looks like that, but it isn't. There is no lender who is losing money because of your non-payment. And in fact, the whole transaction was based not on uh, a loan, but on a securitization scheme. Now, I'm not going to go deeply into this, but just remember that the securities that were issued were not conveyances of, of pieces of any loan. So the loan was never securitized. So a servicer that's claiming rights to service uh, on the basis that there's been a securitization of the loan is lying. But the presumption is going to be that they're not lying. So you have to rebut that presumption. And once again, like I said before, you have to go forward and um, uh, get yourself into discovery so that you can enforce specific demands for the transaction in which anyone paid value for the underlying debt. They're not going to be able to answer that, and unless you get very aggressive about it, the judge is going to pass over that because he's going to say, I'm assuming it was, because they have the note or because they say they have the note, whatever. But the fact is they can't do that. And the fact is that all the documents they're using are pure fabrications, backdated, false statements in them, forged. It's all done for the purpose of getting money that goes to bonuses and profits. There is nobody who gets money, in most cases, uh, from the forced sale of your property and then reduces on their own books of account the amount owed to them by a homeowner because the homeowner doesn't owe money to any party. So there is no them. There is no they. These concepts are highly counterintuitive, but they can be framed in ways that judges will understand. But you got to think about it and plan on it. And each judge is a little bit different in what they respond to. So there are different parts of the case against the homeowner, uh, each of which have weaknesses. You have to evaluate what the judge is willing to respond to and what they're not. But you also have to be willing to endure the anger of the judge because most judges walk in already predisposed that, okay, you didn't pay your mortgage payment, and therefore you're, you're going to be foreclosed. Well, it isn't your mortgage payment if, in fact, you're just giving back the consideration uh, that was paid to you in exchange for starting the securitization scheme, which had nothing to do with your loan. So these things, are, I, I don't deny that they are, for most lay people or anyone that has not been in investment banking, uh, these things sound like gibberish. 
But the way I've won my cases is knowing what I just said, that there is no debt, there is no owner of the debt, and when it comes down to it, they're not going to be able to show proof of payment. In thousands of cases that I have reviewed, there has only been one one instance, Wilmington, one of the Wilmington companies, produced some kind of evidence in a case. I wasn't the consultant on it, but I reviewed it. Uh, uh, some, which which said there was proof of payment, but the case settled before that could become an issue. So. Uh, those of you who like the idea of question and answer, write to me at neilfgarfield at hotmail.com. And if you do like it, I'll do more of them. Until then, we'll see you next week. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.